Today we will discuss Sutta number 148 in the Nikaya. This is called the Chaka Sutta, which means the six sets of six. That is, there are six categories, each of which has six items. Okay, and the sutta begins when the Buddha is living in Savati, in Jaisa's Grove. And after he addresses the monks, then he announces, Bhikkhus, I shall teach you the Dhamma that is good in the beginning, good in the middle, and good in the end, with the right meaning and phrasing. I shall reveal a holy life that is utterly perfect and pure. That is the six sets of six. Now this formula about the Dhamma being good in the beginning, middle, end, and so on, this we often find in the suttas used as a general description of the Dhamma, the Dhamma as a whole. But here the Buddha is applying this general description specifically to the discourse that he's about to give. So this announcement calls the attention, the attention of the monks, the attention of anybody who listens to or reads the sutta, calls the attention to the importance of this discourse. I don't think that there's any other single sutta in the Pali canon which begins with such a description of of the text. So this serves to underline or to highlight the importance of the sutta. Okay, so now the Buddha first, he gives the Udesa, the synopsis or kind of outline of his subject. That is, he simply enumerates the six groups that is, the six internal sense bases, the six external sense bases, the six classes of consciousness, six classes of contact, six classes of feeling, and six classes of craving. And even though we have what seems to be a certain random list of items here, if we look at the list somewhat carefully, we can see that they fall, that the items fall into a certain pattern. Okay, first we have, okay, there are the six internal bases, those are the sense faculties through which, within which, experience arises. Then there are the six external bases, which are the objects of each of these six sense faculties. Then, in dependence upon sense faculty and object, there arises consciousness, vijnana. Consciousness is, you could say, the most basic, the most fundamental factor of mental life, that factor which, based upon a sense faculty, illuminates the objective field. And it is on the basis of consciousness that all the more specific, more specialized mental operations occur. Okay, so the first three items fall into this pattern of the faculties and objects of consciousness and the types of consciousness themselves. Then come six classes of contact. This is Pasa. But what is contact? Contact is the contact 
or you could say it's the coming together of consciousness with an object through the appropriate sense faculty. So contact, though it's listed as a fourth item, presupposes the three preceding items. And contact, in a sense, depends upon the three preceding items. And it is actually the coming together of these three items. Okay, then. Contact is followed by feeling. But contact, it's not simply that the two are set side by side, but contact is the condition for feeling. So we have here a relationship of conditionality between contact and feeling. And the nature of the contact, as we will see, determines the nature of the feeling. And then feeling is followed by craving, which is tanha. And again, the relationship is not merely that of sort of chance, placing of one after the other, a chance juxtaposition, but rather craving is placed after feeling because feeling is the condition for craving. And if we look at the last three items, they will remind us of one very familiar teaching of the Dhamma that we've come across many times before. If we consider the sequence, contact, feeling, and craving. Where have we seen that series before? Somebody said it? Right, exactly. It comes in the teacher Samupada dependent origination. So here the Buddha takes the sequence or takes the set of six items, six sets of six, only as far as craving. But the purpose of this exposition, it seems, is to knock away the support on which craving arises, which is the most basic support for craving, is what? What is the most basic underlying condition of craving? No. Feeling, you could say, is an immediate condition for craving. But what is it that underlies craving and that nourishes it? Somebody said it in this direction. Ignorance, abhijra, right. <laughs> so the Buddha, as we, we will see, is going to show what has to be understood through wisdom in order to eliminate the ignorance on which craving depends. Okay, that takes us somewhat get, getting ahead of ourselves. Now we go back to the sutta. In the next passage, the Buddha will enumerate all of these. He will expand upon this outline of these six sets of six. Okay, first he takes these six internal sensations. Okay, what are the six internal sensations? The eye base ear, nose, tongue, body, base, and the mind base. Okay, then we take the six external bases. These are the form base, sound base, order base, labor base, tangible or tactile object base, and the mind object. Okay, so there's 
there is a natural and immediately evident correspondence between the six internal sense bases and the six external sense bases. That is, each internal sense base is keyed to a particular external sense base. Or we could say each internal sense base takes as its field, as its domain, a particular external sense base. So this is the way the world becomes present to us through the six internal sense bases, the world of the six external sense bases gets channeled through the sentient organism to become accessible to consciousness. And so it's through the eye base that we gain access to visible forms, ear, nose, tongue, through the body base that we get access to tactile objects. And each of these five physical sense faculties takes only one type of object, its own special object, forms in the case of the eye and so forth. But in the case of the mind base, we say that the mind base has its, its the mind base has at its object, at its range, the mind object base, the Dhammayata. But actually the mind base can also gain access to the five sensory bases because when we perceive, say, a form with the eye, it's the eye which responds to the form, which is sensitive to the form, which picks up the form and brings it to the mind. But it is the mind base which is able to discriminate forms to distinguish them. This is not done by the eye. The eye is just sensitive to bare visible objects. If there was no mind base, just an eye base, a functioning eye base and the form base, then the impact of the form would just be like rays of light coming into a camera. But the camera doesn't discriminate any form. It doesn't distinguish that is Papa, that is Mama. <laughs> but <laughs> the eye base, uh, the camera just receives the light, the rays of light, and directs those rays of light as they impish upon the film. And the tape recorder, this <laughs> is like the ear base and the sound all alone without the mind base. The tape recorder itself has no recognition of when Bhikkhu Bodhi is speaking, when Bhikkhu Sumedha is speaking. The tape recorder, all it does is receive sounds and imprint those sounds on the magnetic but it is the mind base which gains access to all five types of sensory objects and is able to discriminate them and coordinate them. So, for example, if you have a round, reddish object of a particular shape, then you, when you look at that round reddish object, then you identify that object or you associate that object with a particular taste, the taste of an apple. It's not the eye base which brings the sight of the apple that is able to decide or to know that this object is a fruit which has a particular taste. 
and it's not the tongue which is able to know that this fruit has this taste. Rather, it is the mind base which brings together the experience, the sight of a particular form with the recollection of a particular taste so that it knows, one knows, this object will have a particular taste. If you picked up something that looked like an apple and you bit into it and it tasted like a papaya, <laughs> even though the papaya might have a delicious taste, but then you'd be horrified and you'd think <laughs> there's something wrong with the apple, it must be turning bad or it must be <laughs> a mutant species or something like that. But you wouldn't want to, you throw it away, you wouldn't want to eat it. <laughs> Well, like the critic who is expecting apples, but he is taking a potato and bites in it, and then he spits it out. No? So that is sometimes we have the critics who are acting in that way. They expect an apple that bites in a, in a potato. Okay, but the mind base has access not only to the five physical sense objects, but it also has access to its own particular types of objects, which are called dhammi. That is, any type of non-sensuous object, ideas, concepts, assumptions, suppositions, judgments, meanings, when you read a sentence, your eye picks up certain colored shapes, right? Actually, black and black shapes against a white background. And so all that the eye can pick up are these black shapes. Then it is the mind base which, in a sense, is your... <laughs> optical recognition software in a sense. It's the mind base which turns the black holes into words. But the mind base not only turns the black squiggles into words, but it fits the words together into a sentence. And that sentence and then from that sentence, the mind base extracts the meaning. So, the meaning is something that cannot be reduced simply to the black squiggles on the white paper. Again, the meaning cannot be reduced to the words, since you might have, say, a very difficult sentence, maybe in you know, some difficult philosopher, maybe a sentence from Hegel or Kant, and you read it, you can know each word, but <laughs> you can't <laughs> make sense of the meaning. Maybe <laughs> Kant and Hegel are not so bad, but somebody like Martin Heidegger, <laughs> you can read over and over, Jean-Paul Sartre, over and over, and <laughs> can't make any sense out of their sentences. Okay, so you know each word, but to fit the meaning, the words together, to get some meaning out of the sentence, that is the function of manayatana, the mind base. Well, some of your poems also, I should mention. <laughs> <laughs> I know each word, but I can't figure out the meaning of that. Yeah, thank you. But I think that is that to emphasize the difference between the red of the apple and the rest. The red is sanya, no? Actually, it's the sanya that... The perception of red is sanya. Oh, yeah, yeah. But comes later, uh, the naming and all that, that is... Uh, there, it goes to another reality. To the need to form an opinion or consciousness. No, no, that's... Uh, 
That's also sanya, but it's sanya working together with the mind. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, so now we have the first two sets of six. The through the six internal bases, the six external bases. Now, in order for the six internal bases even to function, one needs consciousness. If there is no consciousness, for example, in a dead person, maybe in a person in a complete coma, then, well, let's say a dead person, you have the form of the eye, you have the the physical organ that we call the eye, assuming the person has just recently died, that the body is not yet decayed. We have the form of the five physical sense bases, but we cannot call them bases or faculties, because when life is extinguished, then these five organs no longer are functioning as bases of experience or as faculties of experience then they're just residual sensory organs. So it's actually the presence of mind or consciousness which makes them function as sense bases, sense faculties. And the Buddha doesn't take consciousness just as one kind of unitary entity, but he investigate consciousness and find that consciousness is of different types depending upon the faculty through which it arises and depending upon the object to which it is directed. This I think is where the Buddha advanced beyond the earlier steps in Indian philosophy in the early stages, vijnana or mind was just ears, smells, tastes, touches, and thinks. But the Buddha examined, investigated very acutely the nature of experience, and he found through his attention and mindfulness that consciousness can be distinguished according to base and object. Thus, he has arrived at the classification of six types of consciousness. That is, there is dependent upon the eye and form, eye consciousness or visual consciousness. This is the consciousness which registers forms which illuminates the visible object or which we can say is sensitive to visible objects. This again is like the camera. Or rather the camera as in I'm sorry, the camera is really like the eye in relation to the form. But it is the consciousness I don't know how to bring it into this <laughs> because consciousness is a knowing. So it doesn't necessarily identify, but with consciousness, awareness enters the picture. So the camera is completely unaware of the form, but consciousness, perhaps consciousness can be compared to the person looking through the camera and seeing the image through the little peak hole of the camera, the little window of the camera. But Eye consciousness only sees forms. It has no other function. It doesn't hear sounds or smell odors or do anything else. Then ear consciousness arises through the ear faculty and its function is to hear sounds. And so we come we can work in the same way through each of the other types of consciousness till we get to dependent on the mind and mind objects we have mind consciousness arising 
again here mind consciousness can be aware of any of the other sense objects because the mind consciousness is what coordinates different sense objects it coordinates forms and sounds forms and tastes touches and forms usually as human beings we rely very heavily upon the visual sense and then we coordinate all the other senses with the visual object but if we were insects then <laughs> I think the most prominent sense if we were dogs perhaps the most prominent senses would be smell and hearing and sound taste sound sorry the most prominent senses would be hearing and smell and in that case form taste and tactile sensation would be connected with sound with hearing and smell if we were insects then the most important sense would probably be the sense of touch and the other senses would be coordinated with this tactile sensation I'm only guessing since I don't know what <laughs> an insect experience is uh, that is our innermost opinionated animals are but according to scientists it is the mosquito who is 80% of his brain is connected to the ear he finds the people by, by listening very sensitive to sound so it seems to be that he is finding his food according to the even the stream of blood that goes through the body I don't know and can he translate that and can find the food with the ear not with the nose or so how does he operate in the formless? in the formless realm there are no sense outer no physical sense faculties no physical sense objects they have only the mind based mind consciousness and they take only mind objects okay so we were saying that the mind consciousness coordinates the data of the other five senses brings them together and also is able to discriminate the objects of the senses to determine particular form as the shape of a chair particular taste as the taste of an apple and also the mind consciousness takes the entire realm of mind objects non-sensuous objects like concepts ideas, meaning, mental images, impressions, judgments, propositions all of this realm of say this abstract, imagistic, non-sensuous realm is a realm special to mind consciousness okay then we come to the six types of contact Okay, here the Buddha actually uses a particular sequence to show how contact arises. Okay, dependent on the eye and forms, eye consciousness arises. The meaning of the three is contact. so we can see that contact depends upon these three things the eye forms and eye consciousness so if there is the eye for example but no forms are coming into range then there's no arising of eye consciousness for example, even if forms are coming into range, but if one is, say, sitting with the eyes closed, listening to a piece of music very intently, then maybe 
some very beautiful form comes into the room <laughs> but with the eyes closed absorbed in the piece of music then one doesn't see that form because but in certain certain kamas there is the there is the visual and the audio so that when the sound is heard and the eyes are closed there can be a certain coordination that also the sound is producing uh, like on an oscillograph picture huh? oscillograph which signs the shape of the picture of, of the sound so when somebody is being uh, as a uh, habit to visualize feeling is stimulated by sound and simultaneous that may occur that he has also visual, visual experience and sound experience. Uh, I'm say not sure that experience would be a case of actually seeing forms. It seems to me it would be more like the function of imagination. When we be seeing yeah, them with one's mental eye, that mental eye, but uh, of course, and there is the mental ear, the mental eye, which we have uh, both in there. Yeah. Now in the Diva Chakku and the Diva Zora, yeah. so there is the eye plus accessory. Mm. So it seems to be that there can that can crystallize in, in the brain that. Uh, the visual part is close to another part and jumps. Mm. That is possible, I don't know, I have any more mm. Anyway, according to our ordinary understanding, if the eye is intact, but form, let's just say the form doesn't come into range, then there is no arising of visual consciousness. Okay, so visual consciousness depends upon the eye and form, and when consciousness goes out to the form through the eye, it, so to speak, touches the form, not literally, but it meets the form through the eye. And that meeting of consciousness with the form is called contact. This is like you have two people who have never met before and one person introduces them with somebody known to both people and says, John, this is Jane. Then the two men take out their hands and shake hands and they meet. Okay, let us say, Peter is the third, the one who introduces the, the two men. So John is like the sense of, James is like the sense, is like conscious, consciousness. Peter is like the sense faculty, and the shaking of the hands is contact. So, contact, from one angle we say, the Sutta says, it's the meeting of the three. But when you say that the three are meeting, it's not just like taking three cups and putting them together on a, on a platter, but rather the meeting is something which is much more intimate than that. It's the case of contact, it's the case of consciousness, going through the sense faculty, speaking metaphorically. It goes out through the sense faculty and meets the object, shakes hands with the object. And that shaking hands with the object, that is contact. And since there are six types of objects, six types of sense faculties, six types of consciousness, there are also six types 
of contact. Okay, so we have this now completed the six types of consciousness. Okay, that is the fourth of the six sets of six. Okay, now the six classes of feelings should be understood. Okay, now the Buddha will show how the feelings arise through contact. Dependence on the I informs, I consciousness arises. The meeting of the three is contact, and now with contact as condition, there is feeling. So feeling arises in dependence upon contact, and the feeling is distinguished according to the type of contact. That is, when contact occurs through the eye, as a meet, or when the contact arises through the meeting of eye forms and eye consciousness, then it is called visual contact or eye contact. And the feeling that arises through visual contact is called feeling produced through visual contact. Similarly with each of the other sense faculties, with the other types of contact. So there are six types of contact and six types of feeling which are conditioned by those types of contact. And the six types of feeling get their names from the types of contact through which they arise. Feeling born of visual contact, feeling born of ear contact, feeling born of nose contact, tongue contact, body contact, feeling born of mind contact. Also, some other sutras distinguish the contact and the feelings still in other ways. The contacts can be either pleasurable, painful, or neutral, right? And when there is a pleasant contact, what kind of feeling will arise from that? What kind? A pleasant feeling. When there's a painful contact, what type of feeling? Painful feeling. And when there is a neutral contact, a contact which is not especially pleasant, not especially painful, what type of feeling arises? What kind? Not feeling. Neutral feeling. Okay, so in this way, the types of feeling depend upon the types of contact. Now, the visual contact would be immediately reinforced by the mind contact. Visual contact reinforced by mind contact. How is that? Yeah, the mind contact will have to go in there for the foundation. Oh, I see, I see, I see. I see, yeah, visual contact will be sort of followed up by a mind contact. Because the mind contact is associated with the mind base or mind faculty. Yeah, so when the mind faculty, when the mind base arises after a visual experience, a purely visual experience, okay, then the mind base, say, distinguishes the form. Then there is a contact connect associated with the mind base, that is the mind contact. Yeah, that's true. I think when the contact takes place, that can be in two ways. That is the ignorant contact, which 
definitely it tries to feel it. It's standing in return, it tries to feel it. And that can close in and about the whole thing, you know. Wrong determination, wrong views regarding it for that. But if there is a contact which is not ignorant, how do we call that feeling which is arising? What do you call it? It is not neutral, it is necessarily, it can be neutral, it can be what we call pleasant or unpleasant. But there is no, shall I say, that, uh, there is no proliferation in any way, shape or form regarding So the feeling is then free from any question of ownership. In that way we can say the feeling is liberated, it is gone in the conventional it's not I mind, it is just what I The problem is the ignorant contact. And the other thing will always work, you know. Okay, so now we have the sequence as far as feeling. I think this now in this sequence it's all considered sort of under the heading of ignorance, ignorance contact. Because it's to take it as far as great. Okay, so now we come to the sixth set of six. These are the six classes of craving. Okay, so dependent upon the eye and forms, the eye conscious, the Buddha repeats the sequence as to reinforce the dependent and the conditioned nature of all these phenomena. Dependent on the eye and forms, eye consciousness arises. The meaning of the three is contact. With contact as condition, there is feeling. And with feeling as condition, there is craving. Craving is, in Pali, it's tanha, which means literally thirst. And so feeling usually arises I'm sorry, craving usually arises through the thirst for the experience of feeling. And generally craving is driven to experience, to enjoy pleasant feeling. And so the, the main condition for craving is pleasant feeling. But also certain types of neutral feeling can also sustain craving. One type of neutral feeling is the feeling of equanimity which can occur even in the fourth jhana and the formless, the arupa attainment. If there is no wise understanding of these jhanic states, these meditative states, then a subtle craving can set in and one clings to this peaceful equanimity and holds to it and by holding to it then consciousness or the mind becomes established upon it and clings to it and that will sustain the continuity of becoming the continuity of existence and so rebirth will occur, samsara will roll on based upon that craving for this very subtle, pure, elevated, peaceful feeling of the higher jhanas. Or even when there's a kind of neutral feeling of just the kind of dull equanimity, not the lofty equanimity of the jhanas, but just sitting maybe in an armchair on the quiet Saturday afternoon, no work, nothing to do, nobody disturbing you, and you just feel maybe getting dull and drowsy, 
but there's nothing troubling the mind. On the one hand, it's not a special state of excitation, of pleasure, thrilling, pleasant feeling, but it's just a rather dull, drowsy state of complacent equanimity. There will be a clinging to that dull, neutral feeling, that sense of security that comes with that dull, neutral feeling. That also is a craving. And they say that there can be craving even in the case of painful feelings. Generally, people don't have craving directly for the undergoing pain. Then they will feel driven to escape from that pain by indulging in some type of sensual pleasure which will bring pleasant feelings. That's why in another sutta the Buddha says that when the uninstructed whirling is impinged upon by painful feeling, then he seeks to escape from it by engaging and indulging in sensual pleasure. The reason is because he doesn't know any escape from painful feeling apart from sensual pleasure. Okay, so in this way, craving arises dependent upon feeling and it's sustained by all three types of feeling arisen through each of the six sense faculties. So thus we come now to the conclusion of the sixth set of six. And I think we have to say <laughs> congratulate the Buddha on quite a brilliant analysis of experience. Because this is, I think, something that one doesn't find in Indian thought or in any kind of philosophical thought before the time of the Buddha. Such a very exact, minute, precise, detailed dissection of experience into its constituent factors and one finds not only this very precise analysis but also a disclosure of the conditioned structure of experience. He shows how each particular component or set of components arises in relation to the other components. That is, we have running Underlying this six sets of sixes, underlying it, we have the principle of conditionality, ita pachayata, specific conditionality, or paticca samupada, dependent origination. Okay, maybe we will stop here and if there's any comments or any questions, please. I think the sutta is far more useful to study or to ponder upon than going straight forward to some Abhidharma studies. Yeah. Because that is factually the base of the Abhidharma. Yeah. And when we are understanding these and do a little meditation around it, then we will have later a practical access to study of Abhidharma. Uh, then we can see how much that is us. But without having these uh, thoroughly understood how the apparatus works, studies in Abhidharma are more an inference than profit uh, for us. Okay. Um, I would have to say that seeing forms by dreaming, it's really, a I would say that it's the functioning of the mano-vinyana, the mind consciousness. Excuse me? Form is transmitted by the mind consciousness. And maybe in this rapid eye movement, it's because it's the eye consciousness, because we, we can't dream in any state of sleep. We can only dream when the 
perhaps that I really don't know enough about the physiology of sleep. <laughs> anyway, these, these inner pictures are yeah. not possible when there yeah. is no flesh eye. These yeah. inner sounds are not possible if there is not also yeah. a mechanical eye with dominant yeah. or that. So if somebody loses their eyes, say somebody could blind them. They can still, they can still they won't be able to actually see forms no, outside. Closed eyes they, can see. they can still visualize or imagine forms through the, you know, they can see them inwardly. But in that case, one would have to say that the eye is not functioning as a base for the consciousness. And the consciousness that arising, I wouldn't call that eye consciousness. I would say that's a mind consciousness. Yeah, mind, but it is nourished by the by the memory of the Of course, it's nourished by memories but of experiences that were acquired through visual. But interesting is that the man who is born blind, he does not have that. Yeah. I think a person who is blind, he'll have no sense of seeing visual forms. No. But even dreaming is a base for feeling. So it's interesting. Dreaming is a base for feeling. Of course, of course, yeah. But those will be feelings. The feelings that occur in dreams would be the feelings that accompany by mano vinyana. Without, yeah. without uh, conscious will. Yeah. That's the difference between the dream and the world outside, the other dream. Mm. That dream, that the other dream. For the other dream, there is no mm. conscious will. There is will, but no mm. conscious will. That is the difference. Not much. Mm. Any further? Okay, then we will stop for this evening and then we will continue next Thursday. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.